0: Welcome to the Credit Union Roundtable, a show about everything credit unions. Now, here's your host, Walter Lascos.
1: Welcome to the July edition of Credit Union Roundtable. I'm Walt Lascos. This month, we'll hear about plans for a millennial summit in the state of Delaware. Carol Anjou will speak with a couple of the events organizers to help us learn what that gathering intends to accomplish. We'll talk with the Chief Executive Officer of Central Boston Elder Services to get his personal perspective, as well as a snapshot of his agency's efforts to combat elder financial exploitation. And speaking of elder financial exploitation, there is a big campaign underway in the state of New Hampshire intended to help all folks across the state to be better informed and equipped to defend themselves from all the different scams and frauds we read about today. Isaiah Moskowitz will tell us all about the efforts behind Stay Connected, NH. But first, on Credit Union Roundtable, whether you're listening to the program on the radio or as a podcast, we want to explain why credit unions across Delaware, Massachusetts, New Hampshire, and Rhode Island bring you this program each month. Credit unions are financial cooperatives and their business model is defined by a set of cooperative principles. Commitment to the education of the co-op's members and the community is one of them. Another is concern for community, meaning giving back to the community so it too can prosper. And still another is cooperation with other cooperatives. Credit unions represent one segment of the entire cooperative business world. There are many other types of co-ops, and to help us learn more about them and the value they bring to our economy and our communities is Howard Brodsky, co-founder, chairman, and co-chief executive officer of CCA Global Partners one of the largest privately held companies in the United States and the second largest private company in the state of New Hampshire. Howard is a world thought leader on the cooperative shared ownership business model. In fact, in 2019, he was the first American to be awarded the Rochdale Award, the Nobel Prize of Cooperatives, which is given once every two years to one person in the world who has made the most impact in cooperatives worldwide. Howard, welcome to Credit Union Roundtable.
2: Well, it's my pleasure to be with you today.
1: Hey, Howard, let's start off by by looking back on an observance. Uh, On July 4th, we observed America's birthday. Uh, We also observed the International Day of Cooperatives. Uh, It's an observance set each year for the first Saturday in July, as you well know. As the co-founder, chairman, and co-CEO of CCA Global Partners, one of the largest co-ops in the U.S., what is so special about marking the International Day of Cooperatives?
2: Well, I think cooperatives do so much to bring freedom to people, and that's why it's maybe so appropriate on July 4th uh, to give people opportunity, wealth, freedom. Co ops have an enormous impact on our society. And I think very few people are aware of it or don't even understand it. I think most people's understanding of cooperatives is they think of their local food co-op or something other or they don't realize that the credit unions and this housing co-ops and utility co-ops and purchasing co-ops, they really have had an enormous impact in our lives and a positive impact to really give people choice and opportunity. And, and that's why on our Independence Day, isn't that what our Independence Day gave us choice and opportunity and freedom?
1: Yep, it really does resonate and I agree with you that this year having both events falling on the same date I think really tells us something, and I hope that we have really caught the message, particularly with the values that we'll talk a little bit about with with cooperatives. But you know, I would like you to talk to us a a little bit about CCA Global Partners. You know, it's the company you co-founded, and let's use it as an example. How does CCA Global Partners as a business differ from other businesses that are not cooperative in structure?
2: I was very fortunate to start CCA with a very close friend of mine, Alan Greenberg. Over 35 years ago now, and what we really want to do is we wanted to give people the opportunity to have an independent family business compete against national chains. And when we started in the floor covering industry and we slowly moved on to other industries, what we realized was that the family businesses in America, which I believe are the heart and soul of our country and, and the fabric of our community, it wasn't a level playing field. They, they couldn't compete with national chains on buying power and marketing and training and real estate negotiation insurance. And what a cooperative does is, it keeps them independent, it keeps them owning their own family business, but gives them the scale they need to compete. And probably what's unique about a cooperative is so even though I founded it and I'm chairman of it, co-CEO of the company, I don't own a share of the company, which people find astonishing. So our company is over a $12 billion company and any founder that you would, Dying today of a $12 billion company be very wealthy, but cooperatives is about the people. It's about people first, not profit first. So CCA serves family businesses in four countries. We also have uh, 22,000 child care centers we serve. We're the same thing, giving them the scale they need to have. To not just compete, but to really service their customer better than they ever could. These child care centers serve 650,000 children who are better serviced every day because their child care center has access to insurance at a lower cost, has food at a lower cost and better quality, has training online. And so, what a cooperative does is really gives that local family business the same scale as a national company, but still them owning it, being integrated in the community and maintaining their strength in the community well.
1: We're talking with Howard Brodsky, the co-founder, chairman, and co-chief executive officer of CCA Global Partners. And Howard, in talking about cooperatives, the very core of their business model, what would you say distinguishes cooperatives from other types of businesses?
2: Well, so I always say a cooperative, you know, a lot of times because people don't understand cooperative, It's a shared ownership business model. Uh, and I think that's somehow easier for people to understand all the people that use the service, own the service. It's not an independent third party that owns it and is in essence, extracting money from them. Um, whether it be the credit union, whether it be a, our cooperative in purchasing world, the people that use it own it and therefore their shared ownership, their shared opportunity, their shared wealth, um, it is the ultimate model to me of uh, the way our society should work. And the cooperative, unlike almost any other business, in fact, like any other business, is is really defined by seven principles. It is a, a process that's open to all people of all races without discrimination. It's democratically controlled. You know, what I always say is I think there are two choices we have in our world. And one is our existing model, which most people have find himself as powerless and hopeless and it's top-down control and the cooperative is an inclusive, empowered model. Well, it includes people have each have an equal vote and it is about really democratic control and shared equity. You know, it is not shared equity in most companies. The equity is shared by outside stockholders and And I'd say with cooperatives, it's about collective social good and long-term results and not something that's just good for a few people extracting money from the system. If you look at our society today, you know, I think we're at a critical point in our society where five people in the world own as much wealth as half the world's population. That's an, an astonishing number when I think of that, because what it really says to me is the inequality is just, has reached a level that is, uh, it's not sustainable. You know, you I was going
1: wanna... to say, Howard, I mean, you are absolutely right, because when when you think about everything that's going on today, and all the conversation that we're having about equality and social and economic justice and all that, and then you look at what cooperatives can bring to that discussion, and even more so, not so much the discussion, but uh to the way corporate america does business to the way our government is run and right. and possibly even to the way we treat each other on a daily basis we could learn so much from cooperatives you know and i think that you're absolutely hitting on it right there when you talk about the world in which we live and where we find ourselves, and what we can learn from cooperatives, and give us some more insight and share with us about what, how you see that operating. Because I think that is the key message that we have to take from observing the Independence Holiday at the same day of the International Day of Cooperatives.
2: Well, I think it is, and you know, I said I think the inequality has grown enormously. You know, the, the inequality, the gap, has doubled. In the last thirty years in America, and mm-hmm. we are the worst nation in the world for the, our inequality level is worse than any uh, any other nation in uh, advanced nation in our in our in the world, and and that's not a good place to be. And you know when you look at uh, in black family in America has an average net worth of seventeen thousand, the white is ten times more at one hundred seventy. But what you find with cooperatives, Walt is cooperatives again are open by its very nature. Memberships open to people of all races without discrimination. It's democratic controlled and you have one vote, regardless of their participation in the business, it is a quality for every person. And isn't that what everybody's trying to have now and the opportunity? I always say people don't want subsidy. They need subsidies. People want opportunity. And I think what co-ops do is they give people opportunity. They give people hope and they have worked in our society for so long but I think there's a contemporary I call a cooperative model which really addresses the entrepreneurship today I think a lot of people don't realize that cooperatives can be very entrepreneurial and they can be large well there are you know co-ops like ours even bigger that are 20 30 40 billion dollar co-ops but the difference is they're owned by their members the wealth is shared by their members it's not top-down it's You know, I always say cooperatives are a force of good. They can show that business can be a force of good. I define it. as capitalism with a conscience because I think a lot of capitalism today is without a conscience.
1: Howard Brodsky, co-founder, chairman, and co-chief executive officer of CCA Global Partners. Howard, thanks for being with us today on our program.
2: Well, it was my pleasure to be with you. Thank you so much.
1: Hold on to your seat, because when we come back, we're going to hear how New Hampshire is staying connected. This is Credit Union Roundtable on the Better Values, Better Banking Media Network.
0: This is the Credit Union Roundtable.
3: We're all doing our part to help prevent the spread of the coronavirus, like washing our hands, covering our cough or sneeze, and maintaining a safe social distance. Credit unions are doing their part, too. Drive-through teller stations, ATMs, debit and credit cards, and banking apps give members continuous access to their accounts and at the same time ensure everyone's safety. Like always, when times get tough, credit unions are there for you. We stand stronger together. Market volatility
0: has never been higher, but we'll get through it. Hi, this is Barry from the Armstrong Advisory Group. The advisors at my firm have over 100 years of combined experience in the financial services industry, and we'll be there for you as we navigate through this crisis. Set up your free consultation today at armstrongadvisory.com. That's armstrongadvisory.com. Securities offered through Securities America Incorporated, member FINRA SIPC, and advisory services offered through Securities America Advisors Incorporated. Michael Armstrong, Representative. Armstrong Advisory Group and the Securities America Companies are unaffiliated.
3: We're all doing our part to help prevent the spread of the coronavirus, like washing our hands, covering our cough or sneeze, and maintaining a safe social distance. Credit unions are doing their part, too. drive through teller stations, ATMs, debit and credit cards, and banking apps give members continuous access to their accounts and at the same time ensure everyone's safety. Like always, when times get tough, credit unions are there for you. We stand stronger together.
0: Learn more about credit unions anytime at BetterValuesbetterBanking.com. Now, back to the show.
1: There's a new consumer awareness campaign underway in the state of New Hampshire, and credit unions throughout the state are one of several principal supporters behind this effort to combat financial scams and abuse. Isaiah Moskowitz joins us now to help us learn all about it. Isaiah? Thanks, Walter. We're talking with Sunny
4: Mulligan Shea today. She's the victim witness advocate in the elder abuse and exploitation unit in the state of New Hampshire. Sunny, thanks for joining us on the show today.
5: Not at all. Thanks for
4: having me, Sunny. You and I had the pleasure of working together on a project called StayConnectedNH.org. StayConnectedNH.org is definitely a website. Everybody listening now should visit this site. Was put together really to help explore and prevent. Financial exploitation. Sonny, talk about your role at the AG's office, and we'll ultimately get to where you and I partnered with Stay Connected NH. But you're the you're the victim witness advocate in the elder abuse and exploitation unit. Talk about your role and, and what you do on a daily basis up there in New Hampshire.
5: So my work with the Attorney General's office, I um, work in the prosecution of cases where there's elder abuse and exploitation. I work with the Prosecutor um, Assistant Attorney General Brian Townsend, and I'm the victim witness advocate. So I work with anyone who's a victim of a crime of exploitation or abuse if they're over 60 years old. A lot of my work is making sure that they stay informed throughout the prosecution process, that they have a voice in those criminal positions pres- proceedings and that they're kept informed basically and that the big the big law here is the victim's bill of rights and that's what I work at complying with through our office.
4: We're talking with Sonny Mulligan Shea, the victim witness advocate in the Elder Abuse and Exploitation Unit at the Attorney General's office in the state of New Hampshire. Sonny, you and I had the pleasure of working together on a project called StayConnectedNH.org. Now the group that you are working with on top of the AG's office is a group called FAST. Talk a little bit about what FAST is and how you and I became partners on this project.
5: All righty. So so part of my role in the Attorney General's Office with Elder Abuse and Exploitation is that we've recognized that what we really need to do a lot of is education of the public, um, education of the community, you know, of anyone, of caretakers, of bankers, of credit unions, um, of the aging population themselves. Anyone who will talk to us um, and listen to us, we're going to engage with. So one of those rules came when I first took up my position at the Attorney General's office. There was a committee called FAST, which is Financial Abuse Specialty Team. It's a wonderful group of folks comprised of a multidisciplinary range of people. Um, We have bankers, we have credit unions, we have the U.S. Attorney's Office, my office, the Bureau of Elder and Adult Services, the Alzheimer's Association, um, as I said, a great range of folks from many um, paths, but all who are stakeholders in the work with the um, aging people in New Hampshire. So about a year and a half, two years ago, we started, we did actually it was a year ago last spring, we had a convening. we brought together those stakeholders to discuss what did they want to see throughout New Hampshire? What did they um, feel was the most important thing for us as a committee to focus on? Um, And what came out from that meeting, that convening, was they wanted us to look at education and public service announcements and getting the word out to the general public in New Hampshire that this exploitation is going on, that scams are going on, and to put in place services. Through that, FAST committee, Cheryl Steinberg from New Hampshire Legal Assistance, um, applied for a grant, and she did that. She applied for that grant from the Endowment for Health, and we received that. And then there was also contributors to this um, initiative, and that was the Bank of New Hampshire Service Credit Union and um, the New Hampshire Credit Unions. So they all contributed to this, and Isaiah, through the um, Credit Union Association, became involved in this project to put together a website with as many valuable resources as we could find for family members, for the general public, for anyone who's aging in New Hampshire, so that they could be aware and so that they could prevent them being harmed by these scams and the exploitation that we tend to see on a daily basis.
4: It really is a great uh, project. If you're just joining us, uh, we're chatting with Sunny Mulligan Shea. She works with the Attorney General's Office in the state of New Hampshire, and and she focuses on elder abuse and exploitation. And this project, Sunny, it was really a a good project to work on because the credit union, we have a program called CU Senior Safeguard, and if you go to bettervaluesbetterbanking.com, you can see this CU Senior Safeguard. And and for years, uh, the credit unions in all four states where our association is, in Delaware, New Hampshire, Massachusetts, and Rhode Island, you know, we were touring around to senior homes and educating towns and educating seniors and their caregivers just about all of this elder financial abuse and and how people could see the signs and hopefully avoid this. And it really, you know, it, it took off. It was very popular. And when I met you folks, I said, here's a perfect opportunity. This is the opportunity where credit unions can now work with banks and we can work with other companies and we can work with other decision makers in our communities to try to put an end to financial exploitation as a whole. I mean, it is a problem. It is a $40 billion a year problem that is, it's not going away. And as soon as we catch up with the scam, whether it's a romance scam or a text scam or an email scam or God forbid it's a family member scamming their own family. You know, as soon as we catch up with something, there's a new scam out there. There's a new fraud out there. There's something happening. So we built StayConnectedNH.org. And you have to visit this website, StayConnectedNH.org. It's a wonderful resource center. And you mentioned it just now, Sonny. All of the folks at the New Hampshire credit unions, the folks at the Endowment for Health Service Credit Union, Bank of New Hampshire and, and many other offices all got together. You know, we worked with the AARP. Everybody pooled their resources together and put that information on stayconnectednh.org. We built out a Facebook page, and then we went a step further, and we used some of the money that we uh, we raised to buy television in New Hampshire on WMUR, to be on multiple news talk radio stations, and, and to just talk and educate and, and have people understand what it is we're doing. So I was really proud to be part of that, Sonny, because I've known you for a few years now, and the work you do at the AG's office is tremendous. The work that the whole team does at FAST is amazing. And and we were all able to come together and and decide we need a centralized place where people can go and get resources and, and, and ask questions and, and educate themselves. I mean, talk about some of the things that happen at the AG's office and some of the stories. I mean, the education, is so important when it comes to, you know, financial exploitation, am I wrong?
5: Oh, no, absolutely not. And, um, you know, when it comes to the scams, I mean, we've heard more people say, how could someone fall for that until they know a victim themselves or they are a victim? these scams we get reports on a daily basis of several people who are reporting scams this isn't a once off thing it's happening at a very to a very large degree and in these cases you know these scammers they are, they are experts at what they do and they can manipulate and they can convince anybody as i said to someone today only they could convince you the sky is green and they're stealing From the people in New Hampshire, they are stealing from the people throughout the United States. They are taking their hard-earned money um, to promote, you know, nothing that's good for the aging person that we are dealing with. And as Isaiah said, the scams change, but they don't. They're always looking for money for no reason. You know, or they'll have a made-up reason, or a reason that you know you've won a prize, or you know I'm in love with you and I you know want to make it to America, but there's been a tragedy, or um, you've you know won the lottery, or there's this grant I want you to have. But then in the end, there's always a money ask, always. And the saddest part for me is to see people losing that hard-earned money. Um, And just seeing sort of devastation to, you know, money that they've worked hard for, that they've saved all their lives so that they can retire nicely. Um, And just to see that ruined. Um, And we're seeing it, as I said, every single day this week alone. I've spoken to five different um, families who have been victims of scams.
4: Well, listen, you're, you're doing great work, Sonny, and I really appreciate the time uh, you're taking here on the show. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Credit Union Roundtable on the Better Values, Better Banking Media Network, and uh, we're talking with Sonny Mulligan-Shea. She is the vit- victim, witness, advocate in the Elder Abuse and Exploitation Unit in the state of New Hampshire, and her and I worked on a project called I definitely, I definitely suggest anybody listening, visit StayConnectedNH.org and look at the resources and read the stories and, 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 and be involved, be aware, be alert, you know, pay attention to what's happening around you with your family, with your parents, with yourself, with your kids, these scams are everywhere. And people like Sonny Mulligan, Shea who's joining us on the show today. I mean, that's her life's work. That's what she's doing. And and it was an honor to work with you on that project that I know we'll get to work on more projects because the credit unions, uh, they take this seriously. We take it very seriously. And we will be doing more. So, Tony Mulligan Shea from the Attorney General's Office in the state of New Hampshire, thank you so much for coming on the show today. None,
5: not at all. And before we sign off, um, Isaiah, I would just say to everybody before you send money to anybody, before you do anything, always take a deep breath. Think about it. Sign on to stay connected. Read some of the things we're posting. Talk to a friend, talk to a family member. Just take a minute and take a breath.
4: I love it. Great advice. That's why we call it StayConnectedNH.org. That's StayConnectedNH.org. Thanks to Sonny Mulligan-Shea for joining us on the show. And we will be back in just a few minutes on the Credit Union Roundtable. Thanks, Sonny.
1: Thank you so much, Isaiah. Up next, we will hear how Central Boston Elder Services is meeting the challenges associated with senior financial exploitation. But first, this break.
0: We'll be back to the Credit Union Roundtable after this.
6: Today's challenging times may be frightening, but there's comfort in knowing that working together, we will prevail. As in the past, when times got tough, credit unions continue to stand strong, working to serve our members while at the same time keeping our staff and you safe. Our credit union banking apps, ATMs, debit and credit cards, and online banking services continue to meet your banking needs 24-7. Credit union drive-thru teller stations offer additional access to your accounts. Working together, we can ensure the promise tomorrow will bring.
3: We're all doing our part to help prevent the spread of the coronavirus, like washing our hands, covering our cough or sneeze, and maintaining a safe social distance. Credit unions are doing their part too. drive through teller stations, ATMs, debit and credit cards, and banking apps give members continuous access to their accounts and at the same time ensure everyone's safety. Like always, when times get tough, credit unions are there for you. We stand stronger together.
0: Now, back to the Credit Union Roundtable with Walter Laskos.
1: Michael Vance is the Chief Executive Officer of Central Boston Elder Services. I recently had the opportunity to talk to Michael about his organization's efforts to support seniors to age in place and to do so safely and securely. Here's our conversation. Michael, welcome to Credit Union Roundtable.
7: Thank you for having me. Appreciate
1: it. let's begin our conversation. What are your observations as CEO of Central Boston Elder Services? Are we getting a handle on the fight against elder exploitation, or is it still growing out of control, growing in intensity?
7: My, My belief is that it's still growing. It's still intense. Um, obviously, as, as every day you know happens, something else is going on at the same time. I mean, we're in in unprecedented times with uh, a pandemic and social unrest at the exact same time. In the middle of a political race as well. So there's all kinds of external factors that are affecting seniors today that I see, especially in the city
1: of Boston. I could just imagine, Michael, because, you know, when you think of it, there's so much to contend with today from, you know, from the standpoint of social justice issues, uh, you know, and then you have the pandemic going on. I mean, it's like, what more can we be asking our seniors, uh, you know, to endure <laughs> when you think about it? Uh, you know, I, I think you know, I think back to, you know, some of the, um, the scams, the vintage scams that we've seen over the years. For example, you had the romance scams or the IRS scam, uh, the grandparent scam. You know, they're all targeting seniors. But from a lot of the stuff I'm hearing, and I, mean, I don't know, I want to get your opinion on this. I see that there's a new batch of scams on the rise, and they seem to be re- related to COVID-19. Are you seeing many of these COVID-19 scams occurring, uh, targeting seniors throughout the city of Boston?
7: yeah we absolutely do because um, there, there's a there's a lot of different things going on right now but you know in terms of people trying to navigate the system and understand first of all there's the the scam involving money uh, that could be coming to seniors um, there were some cards that were mailed out uh, some people got them some people didn't Um, and, you know, folks are taking advantage and calling, saying that if you want to get it, you have to do this or that, uh, or that you owe money on those cards if you did receive them, and, you know, you've already retired, those kind of things. Uh, There's been, you know, we've had a few cases dealing with uh, PPE, uh, protective uh, clothing, you know, where you can buy this or that, and you never get it. You know, if, if, you, if you give us your credit card number, we'll send you masks and, uh, and gloves and et cetera, et cetera, and they just never get it. I mean, whatever you can think of, there's someone who has thought of a way to uh, separate vulnerable seniors from their funds, um, and, and it's very disheartening, but uh, there are some very creative uh, things that are going on that are just related to COVID and, and probably the two biggest ones that I mentioned is money, relief money, and more around protective uh, clothing, masks, gloves, et cetera.
1: You know, Michael, I've also heard some talk about you know the, the, uh, the checks that everyone was getting. Uh, they um, are not supposed to be used. If anyone's in a nursing home or a senior home and having a hard time making their payments, those checks are not supposed to be held back from the senior that's supposed to be receiving them. In terms of paying for that rent or paying for those services, is that true?
7: That that's that's my understanding. I mean, we, I mean, as a as an ASAP, um, you know, as my company, we really we're we we do not necessarily deal with the nursing facilities and assisted living. Um, most of our consumers obviously are the ones that we're trying to keep aging in place and to keep them at home. Uh, we do keep up, obviously, because. Uh, that is, unfortunately, where folks tend to go uh, into nursing home in a sense of living when they're unable to, to stay at home safely or there's not a caregiver. But I have heard them. We are aware of those. Uh, but generally, you know, we run the protective services. Uh, the majority of our consumers, obviously, are still at home or still in the community.
1: Yeah, I would I would guess to say, uh, Michael, that and if if your agency did get a phone call about something that's related like that, you guys are there to really help the constituents, the seniors, the elders throughout the city of Boston. And and if if you don't particularly specialize in that area, I'm sure that you're able to uh, guide that senior to the right agency or the right people that can help. Is that true?
7: Absolutely. I mean, we work closely with the attorney general's office. Uh, as well as the DA, um, you know, we refer, you know, serious abuse to the, to the DA's office on a regular basis already. So if, if somebody called us uh, and we became aware, we're, we're not going to turn our back and say that's someone else's problem. We are going to take it uh, and run with it and make sure that the proper authorities know what's going on uh, with that senior in the city of Boston.
1: And you know Michael, I think I, I have to really say it, that's what I really love about the city of Boston I mean it everyone there uh, with the administration uh really works together to to really help the constituents and you know and help the folks. Uh, I do a lot of work and uh, you know assistance with uh, the h strong commission and um, i I see i mean my god i I see the challenges that working to protect you know, seniors uh, within the city of Boston, uh, how challenging that is, is when you think of uh, the various different cultures and languages of those that are part of the city of Boston, and being able to try and communicate to those various audiences is challenging enough. And then you get the whole thing of the scams on top of it. I mean, it. you know, I, I kind of really respect, you know, the work that that your agency does. And, Speaking of Central Boston Elder Services, tell us a little bit more about the work that your agency does.
7: So we're we're one of twenty-four uh, what are called ASAPS uh, in the state, and we're one of twenty that have protective services. Uh, so there are three ASAPS in the uh, city of Boston. There's Ethos and Senior Senior Home Care um, and. The three of us together work together with Age Strong, and Emily Shea is an awesome commissioner and uh, mm-hmm. known her for years. And the mayor, as you said earlier, is very, he's committed to uh, seniors aging in place. Um, he's, can, he's very uh, serious about seniors in the city of Boston. Um, but what we do at Central Boston Elder Services is, is We have about 8,000 consumers that we make sure that they can age in place. And so we contract with about 60 different providers who provide in-home care for uh, these individuals, and they range from a couple hours a day or a couple hours a week to some folks who have six or seven days worth of service where someone will come in and either uh, it's companionship, it's light chore, it's heavy chore, it's... Um, all, it, it runs the gamut of whatever the need is, and at the end of the day, it, as long as it, it, it is cheaper than being in a nursing home, um, it's a benefit to the state, um, and more importantly, people are allowed to uh, age, they're allowed to age in place with uh, dignity and respect. So it's, it's a pretty good deal. Uh, it's very rewarding work. Uh, as I say, we have about 8,000 consumers. We also own a, a senior housing for 57 uh, seniors, uh, affordable housing right next door on our campus. So we, we stay busy with all of our different services that we offer, um, as well as we have an elderly housing development that we take care of at the same time. So.
1: And we're talking with Michael Vance, Chief Executive Officer of Central Boston Elder Services. Michael, as, as we're rounding off our, our conversation here, in, in your experiences, uh, what are the biggest challenges we have to overcome if we hope to ultimately one day protect seniors, really protect seniors from scams and fraud?
7: I, You know, my, my basic thing is information. Um, I, I think it's complicated enough. I think all of us. Uh, as we get closer to retirement, we don't always necessarily have a plan, and especially a plan around health care, because that's generally where your biggest cost is going to come in, and you don't necessarily have a plan in place. And I think all of the different options that are out there, it becomes very, very confusing. And everything has a deadline. Everything has a cost. And if you don't have the support, Um, if you don't have someone who can help navigate you through this, uh, you can be in serious trouble. Um, and that's, you know, that's the biggest thing is having a plan or at least having the ability or access to information or someone to help you. And hopefully that's what, that's my goal. And that's what I hope to, to be more of information and referral to the seniors in the city of Boston that you can call. And we can help you maneuver the system because it is very, very complicated.
1: And Michael, we're wrapping up here. Finally, you know, let me just ask this: you know, if there is one message about elder exploitation that you want our listeners to hear and really take to heart and remember, if there's one thing, one message that you said, what might that be?
7: I mean, really, it's it's about uh, isolationism. I mean we have a lot of seniors that are by themselves. When I read the cases, and I do, and I read all of my cases as much as possible, um, it starts off with male this age or that age living alone, Uh, no other uh, support. I guess the message that I would leave folks with is please check in on your loved ones, please check in on seniors that you care about, Um, but don't forget the seniors more importantly, I feel like with the COVID-19, once the word was out that it only affected seniors, which by the way is untrue, um, and, and then uh, it, it affected more of uh, the diverse community that all of a sudden the level of intensity decreased. And I think everybody uh, needs to take heed and, and check in on all seniors. You know, I know it sounds grandiose, but it's like everyone deserves a phone call, uh, a check-in. Um, and, and I hope that your listeners will take the time or opportunity to check in on their loved ones. Yep,
1: yeah, I can. I, I absolutely agree with you that if there is one message, that's the message. Michael Vance, Chief Executive Officer, Central Boston Elder Services. Thank you for being on uh, Credit Union Roundtable today.
7: Thank you for having me. I appreciate it.
1: Millennials are gearing up for their annual conference in Delaware. However, this year, the gathering promises to be quite a bit different. We'll hear all about it after this break.
0: We'll be back to the Credit Union Roundtable after this.
3: We're all doing our part to help prevent the spread of the coronavirus, like washing our hands, covering our cough or sneeze, and maintaining a safe social distance. Credit unions are doing their part too. Drive through teller stations, ATMs, debit and credit cards, and banking apps give members continuous access to their accounts and at the same time ensure everyone's safety. Like always, when times get tough, credit unions are there for you. We stand stronger together.
6: Today's challenging times may be frightening, but there's comfort in knowing that working together, we will prevail. As in the past, when times got tough, credit unions continue to stand strong, working to serve our members while at the same time keeping our staff and you safe. Our credit union banking apps, ATMs, debit and credit cards, and online banking services continue to meet your banking needs 24-7. Credit union drive-thru teller stations offer additional access to your accounts. Working together, we can ensure the promise tomorrow will bring.
0: Learn more about credit unions anytime at BetterValuesBetterBanking.com. Now, back to the show.
1: For the past few years, credit unions across Delaware have been a sponsor of the Millennial Summit, an annual conference that brings young folks together from throughout the state and local region to network and discuss topics that are most pressing to all of us, my colleague Carol Anjou joins us now to give us a pre conference peek at this year's gathering.
8: With us today in Delaware, we have um, Bernadette Hines, who is our Education Director for the Cooperative Credit Union Association, and then we also have Charlie Vincent um, Esquire. He's Executive Director at Spur Impact Association, and he's also a very key player with the um, Millennial Summit, which is what we're going to be talking about today. Bernadette, can you just uh, refresh us on basically what the Millennial Summit entails and why it is so popular in Delaware and throughout the eastern seaboard.
9: Well, it's a great conference. It's been going on for quite a few years here in Delaware Live, and it's a one-of-a-kind conference. It's good for young professionals to connect and grow professionally and, and personally with meeting with um other colleagues in the, in the Delaware area and listening to great speakers with professional development and a lot of different areas in advocacy and health and wellness. So they get to connect over a few days and really exchange a lot of ideas.
8: Okay, so you're saying connect over a few days. Um, is, is 2020 going to be a little bit of a different kind of a connection for everybody there?
9: Absolutely. So yes, in the past, it's been a three-day conference, um, and uh, it was, you know, it was meetings and professionally, you know, networking and such. So, of course, with the COVID, um, the group had to decide about offering it virtually, which Charlie's going to talk about, I think, a little bit in more detail. But um, our credit unions in the states of Delaware, Massachusetts, Rhode Island, and New Hampshire are very excited about joining, having the opportunity to join virtually this year. Um, We have a young professional network, and in the past, we've offered complimentary uh, registrations for our Delaware credians. and this year, obviously, we could do it for all four of our states. And we've had a contest going on, and we've had a lot of response, and they're very excited about attending the virtual conference.
8: And Charlie, Bernadette has said that this year is is going virtual, of course, but I'm just a little curious as to how you came up with the idea for the summit to begin with. I know it's a couple of years going on now, but how exactly did
10: you come up with this to start with? Yeah, thanks, Carol. Uh, Thank you, Bernadette. Bernadette's been involved with our uh, planning process uh, pretty much the beginning. The, uh, and certainly the Cooperative Credit Union Association has been a, has been a big supporter. We've had lots of uh, uh, members from different credit unions attend over the years. So thank you for your continued support. So the, the genesis of this really started off you know with me and another uh, guy, Robert Herrera, who, who runs one of the co-working spaces here in Wilmington. And it was really around the idea that there there weren't a lot of opportunities for young professionals to get together, kind of as a collective, whether it's through networking or through a professional development conference. The closest sort of conference that everybody's more familiar with is the Forbes Under 30 Conference, which is which is much more specific and and just a very different uh, type of event. So we were sort of developing around this idea of, of creating a, a young professional focused conference that would really hone in on on leadership, professional development, finance, entrepreneurship, nonprofit service and, and sort of evolve the from there. And so this year in twenty twenty would have been our is our fourth year, would have been our fourth year in person, but obviously we've had to to pivot like many others and, and are in the final stages of sort of one month away from being uh, having the virtual event, which I think in the end will, will really open up access. Because obviously, people aren't going to have to fly in or or come down to Delaware like they normally would. But we, uh, it should be fun. We got a lot of stuff planned, and and we're excited
5: uh, for it.
8: Well, that, that's that's great. I I know in the past, um, like you said, you know, people have come down. We've had um credit unions from Delaware, like Bernadette said, you know, have gotten a few scholarships and things like that and opening it up. I mean, in the past, I think you've had people from Pennsylvania, New Jersey, New York, you know, come down to it. Like you said, do you think the fact that you're going virtual this year, Charlie, is going to give you an even wider audience? Do you think you might pick up some, some uh, viewership, so to speak, from, you know, further out West, maybe even California?
10: Yeah, I think so. The, uh, We've got certainly, I think cause right now, we've had somebody register from the state of Washington and from Colorado, and I, I think we have we have a couple of friends that live in Hawaii who have told us they, they plan to, to register. So last year we had 18 different states uh, represented. A lot of those are through the speakers because we really try and develop out the panels to have a wide cross-section of, of sort of local and national thought leaders. And so I would imagine, you know, just in attendance alone, we might be able to break that, that record from last year. So it'd be great to have sort of representation from all 50 states, certainly, you know, up and down this Eastern seaboard, I think is a realistic goal for this year. And, you know, Hey, if we can get half the country there over three days, listening to a lot of the experts. And I know that was going to talk a little bit about the panel they put together for part of the finance track, but, uh, yeah, the the more states the better. There's certainly a lot of young professionals all over that are looking to get more involved in their community and and this is a great place to learn how to start.
8: Well, it certainly is expanding. I'll tell you, you go from, you know, a pretty much local thing to a regional, now basically national next year, the world. Yeah, we're going, we're going there. Yeah, we're going to go there. Um, Bernie, I I know that you've been involved, um, as Charlie said, and you said since the beginning with putting together panels about financial education of different sorts. Last year, I think you were kind of doing some budgeting and things like that with young professionals, kind of letting them know more about the basics of finances and things like that. This year, it's, it's a little bit of a different track, I think, isn't it? What's what's up for this year? Yeah.
9: So again, in, in the past, we found that these young professionals, you know, are really challenged with if they're coming right out of college or they're just early in their career and they're struggling about budgeting and debt management and student loans and what are credit scores. So we had um, quite a few of those types of panels in the past couple of years with experts, um, young professional experts, and seasoned professionals as well, representing credit unions and banks and other local um, um, experts in the area. So from that, those have been standing room um, sessions. I mean, just the the amount of attendance and the questions, it just has been great. And from that, um, last year, we had a lot of people started to ask more about these scams that are going on and fraud. And so we felt as though as as, um, a finance um, committee, it would be great to have a session dedicated to that. So that's what we're doing this year, and it's called Is It a Scam? And we have a moderator um, from um, the uh, State of Delaware's Department of Justice, the Deputy Director of Regina Schoenberg. She's going to moderate the group. And we have three great panelists. Um, We have uh, a gentleman from... Um, the Better Business Bureau that's going to be speaking on on different types of scams that have been going on, Uh, employment scams, the fake check scams, online purchasing scams. And then um, from the Cooperative Credit Union Association, we have um, Walt Lasko, who's going to talk about your parents and your grandparents and the financial exploitation there. That was a couple of questions that came out of some of the sessions last year. They were very concerned as young consumers that their parents are being scammed and even their grandparents. So Walt's going to be discussing, you know, the grandparent scam, repairman scam, the IRS, all those kinds that are out there and, and the resources and, and what you can do is, if, you know, a family member has become a victim as well. And then we're going to close with Paul Mitchell, and he's um a, actually a young professional with MassMutual um, of Greater Philadelphia, and he's going to tie it together. To talk about what all these scams are, but now what are some good investments as a young professional that aren't scams and, and some ideas about that, talking about like your 401k and and things that you can be looking at to start investing and going forward. So it's going to tie up also about insurances and things, and it's not like anything, it's not a sales pitch, it's just to educate the, the young professionals because they're kind of struggling on, you know, what insurances they should have, you know, short long-term disability, all kinds of things. So we feel as though the panel will um, be there for them to let them know about these opportunities and then also to ask a lot of questions because usually that's the best way to learn. So we're really
8: looking forward to it. Well, I'll, I'll tell you that insurance part will come in useful. Um, even even for us not-so-young professionals, um, insurance is a confusing subject, that, that's for sure. I know okay. you had said that you know Walter, Walter Laskos is going to be on there to talk about scams and things like that. I just want to remind everybody, um, the Credit Union Roundtable, the podcast we're on today, is brought to you by Better Values Better Banking, and that website, bettervaluesbetterbanking.com, also has a list of different scams that you can go out there and look at as a resource for you, too. So, but again, back, back to the you know kind of like the uh, demographics for this. I, it sounds to me like between all the different speakers and the different sessions that you're going to have, this millennial summit would probably be interesting for more than just the millennials. Are are us old fogies invited to this too?
10: Yes. So there is there. It's it's the, the summit. Obviously, most of the attendees historically sort of are between 25 and and 40, but certainly. You know, I think having a, a range of, of young and seasoned professionals is good. And and really, in, in when it's been an in-person event, it's really sparked an interesting dialogue and discussion. I think uh, most of the conference will be sort of facilitated through through Zoom and and, and our Millennial Summit app. So, you know, still have uh, as much interaction as we can. Obviously, a lot of it will be kind of chat-based, um, but I think that will help uh, you know, accelerate, you know, stimulate the discussion and certainly having a perspective, you know, whether you're young or seasoned or retired or starting off, it's, it's, there's something for everybody, you know, and I, and I, certainly in, in this COVID times, you know, scams haven't gone away. So I think it's an important topic and, and we'll be covering that next month. There we
8: go. Oh, no, speaking of next month, because it's coming up fast, where do we go to find out a little bit more about the Millennial Summit or you know, how to register for it, when it's going to be, you know, how, how the sessions are going to go, that kind of stuff. Where can we find out more yeah. about the Millennial Summit?
10: Yeah, so on all social media, you could search uh, the Millennial Summit or Mill Summit. Uh, the website is millsummit, dot com. I know the credit union has been sending out uh, information as well and uh, they can find, click the register button and sign up. They could, there are three different days. It's uh, Monday, August 3rd, Tuesday, August 4th and Wednesday, August 5th. Each day it topically is broken down into, into different things. Entrepreneurship on the Monday, leadership and finance on the Tuesday and nonprofit and, and social media and community services on the Wednesday. So Um, you can register for one, two, or all three days. Obviously it's a little cheaper if you buy the full conference pass and that'll get you access to the app, to the zoom rooms uh, and everything else.
9: That's awesome. At
10: the low, low low price of, for the full conference pass of just 16 to $69 for an all access pass. So cheaper than it would have been in person and the networking value should still be there.
8: Oh, come on. That's, that's even cheaper than like Coachella or something like that. And this is going to be so much more educational. So I think this is great value for your money. I really do. All three days would be the best way to go, and then you can just kind of pick and choose what you want to what you want to listen in on. That That's awesome. Again, that website, millsummit.com, you can go there to find out everything that you need to know. We want to thank um, Charlie Vinson, Esquire, the Executive Director of Spur Impact Association and one of the founders of the Millennial Summit, and Bernadette Hines, who joins us from the Cooperative Credit Union Association as Educational Director, and also um, doing her fourth year in um, helping put together a great panels for this um, Millennial Summit that will be coming up in August. So you've been listening to us down here in Delaware. Thank you very much. And back to you, Walter.
1: And that wraps up another episode of Credit Union Roundtable. On behalf of our sponsors, the credit unions of Delaware, Massachusetts, New Hampshire, and Rhode Island, I'm Walt Laskos. Thanks for joining
0: us. This concludes the Credit Union Roundtable on the Better Values Better Banking Media Network. For more information about local credit unions in your state, visit BetterValuesBetterBanking.com. That's BetterValuesBetterBanking.com.